Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tennis Physio Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Minitti, a physical therapist and certified personal trainer. And today we will be interviewing Dr. Larry Lauer, who is the Director of Mental Performance for the United States Tennis Association Player Development and leads their mental performance team. Larry has a PhD in exercise and sports science, specializing in sports psychology from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He's been a sports psychology consultant for over a decade, working with elite tennis players from juniors, college, and pros. Larry was an assistant coach and mental coach for the Michigan State's men's team for three years, helping them reach the 2013 NCAA tournament. During a stay in Michigan, Larry worked for nearly nine years as a mental performance consultant to USA's hockey's national team development program, an AASP certified mental performance coach, enlisted in the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee Sport Psychology Registry 2020 to 2022. Larry was named one of the 100 most influential sports educators in America by the Institute for International Sport for his work in developing and leading the Playing Tough and Clean Hockey program. As an advocate of striving for excellence in a healthy manner, Larry has presented to audiences over 800 times, published over 30 referee journal articles and hundreds of popular articles. He also co-hosts the Compete Like a Champion podcast with coach Johnny Parks. And Larry has appeared in numerous media outlets, including ESPN's Outside the Lines and HBO's State of Play show, Trophy Kids. We're honored to have Dr. Larry Lauer here with us today. And just as a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes and not to be used as individual medical advice. So Larry, welcome and thanks for coming onto the show. Thanks, Melissa. Excited to be here and, and talk about mental performance and mental skills. So. Yeah, ready to dig into it. Oh, yeah, definitely skills that all of us tennis players need for sure. So uh, I work a lot with tennis players, particularly adult tennis players looking to enhance their game while balancing other aspects of life. Um, and want to kind of get into some of the ways to optimize their performance on the court. So before we kind of go into those details, can you give us a little bit of background? What got you interested in sports psychology? Yeah, you know, a big part of it, like many of my colleagues, was I was trying to find answers for my own performance and some of the things I was dealing with and why, why do I perform great on some days and other days like I can't find it and some days mm -hmm. I'm super confident and other days I wasn't and it, sometimes it felt like almost magical right like when it came together and how am I doing that and then other days it was awful and it, so yeah I took a sports psychology class at Clarion University during my undergrad uh, Dr. Krauss, uh, who's a psychology professor there, led it. And uh, it started answering some of my questions like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> and it was opening up a lot more questions for me. Yep. And I was just, I was hooked on it. I was like, wow, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I was coaching. I was playing. Uh, back then, I was doing a lot of baseball. That was my best mm. sport. And um, it just started answering a lot of my questions. And then as I moved on through my, my training, um, continued to rely a lot on these theories and and, and principles to help me uh, be an ice hockey director uh, for two years and just some of the questions I was trying to answer there and working with parents or uh, working with young athletes and coaches and uh, yeah they're just carrying forward and through all these years working with tennis um, whether it's again with players parents or coaches uh, how, do, how do we try to um, put people in a position where they're achieving their goals, but in a good way, in a, in a healthy way. And, and obviously, that's a huge topic of discussion these days. It uh, wasn't so much when I was coming mm -hmm. through as a student. Uh, it was more still about performance. But I think yep. now 
um, we've come around the holistic sort of view on performance and, and it's, 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 it's a very good thing. And um, yeah, but there, there's so many things we still have to learn. So I love the feel. I love trying to answer questions, trying to help people become better. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's about finding that balance, right? Not only being able to perform on the court, but being able to, you know, be mentally healthy outside of the court. And I think just as you mentioned, finding that consistency from one match to the other versus one day it magically works and other days it's like, what the heck is going on here? So, you know, as we start to hone in on some of these skills, um, what are some of the top three mental skills that all players should have, whether they're juniors, pros, or adult recreation players? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm about to cheat here because I'm gonna say, <laughs> I, I do know how to count, okay? I'm going to actually end up giving you more than three, but... I'll, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, but I'll explain this. Uh, I, I think the number one thing, and, and Peter Hobrell at the United States Olympic Committee used to talk about this. Focus is is like the currency of high performance. Mm-hmm. Performing in anything you do is being focused, being present, right? Because all the research has been done on great performers, great performances over the last 50 years. There's that commonality that they were present, right? They were there. And that is a skill, right? Being mm-hmm. present, being able to focus on what you want, when you want. In mindfulness, you can roll that into mindfulness where this this skill of being present, but mm-hmm. also non-judgmentally, right? And and that's a big piece of that, that I'm here, I'm, I'm here in the right now, and I have a plan and I have a goal, and I'm doing this in such a way where I can distance myself from the doubts, from the, the criticism mm-hmm. and just play or just perform. So I, I think that's number one. And that, that skill is often like a, also an outcome of other things, right? Because if you, you know, the second skill we teach of breathing and being able to relax, but also, you know, how to energize yourself. I think that's a critical skill that athletes need or tennis players need. Uh, you know, managing your breath is, mm-hmm. is crucial for performing because oh, yeah. it affects your focus. It affects the whole body. So we're using that breath to uh, slow the heart put the brakes a little bit on the part so we can then uh, avoid that fight or flight nonstop, ease down a bit and think more clearly uh, as crucial, but also knowing how to use your breath to fire yourself back up as well. You'll see athletes bounce around, get themselves going. A lot of people think, yeah, I know how to breathe, but do you really <laughs> know how to use nope. your breath? Probably not. Right. So that's something that we can dig into more. That's number two. Imagery or visualization, I think, is one of the untapped things. Probably we all do it on some level. Probably most of us. There are a few people out there that aren't good at visualization. But most people, if they try, are able to visualize or use imagery. Mm-hmm. And when I say imagery, that means using all of your senses to create an experience in your mind that's not happening outside of you. This is a tool that Olympian, Olympians use professional athletes use, including professional tennis players, to rehearse what they're about to do. Now, this can be done as, hey, I'm about to serve. I can see exactly where that serve's going to go. Uh, I'm about to hit a return, so here here comes the serve. I'm going to you know, imagine hitting that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way to prepare in the moment, but it's also a way to prepare before your matches. Taking time to imagine, okay, um, here's how I want to play. 
Here's mm-hmm. the presence I want to have out there. I'm going to deal with certain situations. Uh, how am I going to deal with my first break point down? Well, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to go to my favorite serve, right? Yeah. Going to look to open up the court and hit my. I love my forehand. I'm going to hit my forehand. <laughs> there you go. So, but you you plan, you rehearse, and then all that has to you have to have the force skill, your self talk, or your inner talk has to be disciplined for you to pull this off, right? To be focused, to have good energy, and to be able to use your your imagination to to see what you want to see, your self talk also has to be working for you, right? Because that default sort of network thing that's going on there that conversation is that out of control which is going to create problems or are you focused on the kind of talk that's going to help you perform and and so you know how you have to know how to manage that inner self-talk and then you roll those four skills into routines because it's great to you know these different skills but do you know how to apply them and that was the issue we're having back in the 90s when i was in graduate school Tennis coach would say, great, we have all these great textbooks and, and popular books on mental skills and tennis or just mental skills, but mm-hmm. we have no idea how we're supposed to teach these or for players to use them. And thanks to Dr. Jim Lair and then my mentor, Dr. Dan Gould and others, they were starting mm-hmm. to take these skills and put them into routines. And what we found was mm-hmm. when you start stacking them together, they become mm-hmm. more powerful. So if I take a breath and then I use myself talk to encourage myself or I use my imagery skills to imagine right. what that next serve is going to look like. Then suddenly that those skills combined become way more powerful to give you the focus, the readiness to perform the confidence commitment you're looking for. So long winded answer for three things. I gave you four. <laughs> Bonus. I think all those are excellent. Right. And I think we can use some of those things, you know, off the court as well, but definitely one of the things that I've found with players is maybe not using them consistently. Well, I tried this thing, but it didn't work for me. Or I breathed once and it didn't really work, right? So obviously, just like our strokes, it is something we have to practice. So how often do you typically have your players practice some of these skills? Now, keeping in mind, I'm I'm working with people who want to be professional tennis players who are are already professional tennis players. So I'm very fortunate because these are very, very committed people. This is what they do. But if you want to improve your performance, you need to practice these skills often. Now, let's say you, you might not be spending 20 minutes a day like a pro mm-hmm. athlete's going to be doing, doing breathing, mindfulness, imagery, journaling, whatever their preference is and what they're doing. But even if you're taking a little bit of time each day, that is beneficial, Right. Uh, if you're taking mm-hmm. two minutes a day, five minutes a day, maybe to do some mindful breathing where you focus on your breath, you quiet the mind, you calm all this crazy emotions that we all experience, right? Mm-hmm. One day we one day we wake up and we're like, oh, life is amazing. The next day we wake up and, oh, my God, <laughs> I hate life, right? Yep. Getting things back into a, a good place, right, where our emotions aren't wreaking havoc with us and we're able to then start to center our focus on our purpose for the day. What do we want to achieve? How do we want to achieve it? This is where we use our journals. This is where I use our imagery and our self-talk. So mm-hmm. we practice this. We talk about going into the mental gym. And mm-hmm. that's a term that I borrowed from others. But we're going to go into the gym and we're going to do our push-ups and our pull-ups and our planks and yep. all that other good stuff You know that we would do to exercise our body. We're going to do the things to exercise our mind. 
because not only does doing these things daily de-stress you, keep you goal-focused, uh, help you plan, help you reflect on what you've learned and, and cement home those lessons better, you're learning your, to master these skills, right? You need to yep. practice them. So you need to, if you're going to use imagery or visualization, you need to practice it. You don't, like we talk about with the players, like the first time you try these things, you don't want this to be a four roll in the third set at the French Open. Like that, right. <laughs> not the time. Like, oh, I remember when Larry said to do this. I'm going to try that. <laughs> no, right. Well, let's I do mean, it in some low pressure situations here. <laughs> right. Let's practice it a little bit. You know, when you're going to practice, so we talk about daily mental practice. Um, and again, I borrowed this from someone else and we've morphed it to this concept that before you practice, you do some things to get your, your mental warm up, right? Again, I mentioned breathing and journaling your goals and maybe visualizing uh, how you're going to be successful at those goals or maybe your plan for the day. Mm-hmm. Then you go and execute your plan and you use your routines. I mentioned routines for the last question. Oh, yeah to get mentally ready to refocus for everything you go into. It's like, you know, if you got a board meeting at eight and you mentally <laughs> prepare for that and it's like, oh my gosh, this is huge. But yet I got a client at 9.15, I have to reset. So it's not yep. just in tennis, right? Or let's say, you know, we play a first set and it was a war and you come out on top seven, six. Got through that. Oh wait, we got to play <laughs> yeah. second set. Yep. You've got to refocus, right? You've got to come back with that same energy or better because your opponent's going to bring it. So um, so these skills, you have to execute your routines as you play to stay mm-hmm. focused, stay engaged, to work. And then when you're done, you reflect on how you did. You talk to your coach, you journal, you write about how you did, about your goals, right? The successes that you had, the lessons that you learned, the things you want to improve. This all sets up what you're going to do the next day. So again, to me, it's the daily practice of this, the discipline. You start creating habits when you keep making the choice to do these things. And the more these habits get stuck in you, you start having excellence, right? That's how you get it. You know, you don't just do these things every once in a while and think that you're you're going to master these things and they're going to be there for you under pressure. So, Absolutely. You mentioned a lot of building routines, right? Yeah. So on the court, off the court, you know, wherever we need these skills. Um, what are some strategies to start building, you know, a good routine for yourself? Well, I think you first got to got to be aware of where you're trying to implement this routine, right? Uh, because that, that determines the steps of the routine. If I'm trying to do a routine to get my children to go to bed go to sleep that's going to be different than if i'm trying to get them to wake up and be fired up for school right so what's the purpose and when am i doing this for tennis players between points you have 25 seconds yep that time period determines a lot of what we have to do right we have to come Mm -hmm. back and be ready to play so your tools your skills there have to be pretty brief and pretty refined and pretty sharp to work uh, but that's how you want to work because that's how the game flows. And yep. so, you know, I, that's where a lot of times I start with players is what is it you're doing between points now consistently that prepares you to play? And they might say, oh, I look at my strings or I, you know, I, I tell myself one thing to do in the next point or, you know, I might take a breath or I, I go to my towel or 
what mm-hmm. they have a number of things. I switched my racket from my right hand to my left hand. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple important things with this. Why are you doing what you're doing? And does it actually get you ready to play? Because we know that there's four things you got to go through. And this is really kind of the, the evolution off of Jim Lehrer's 16-second cure. Mm-hmm. What are those four stages that players go through between points? They have an immediate response to the last point, positive, negative, or neutral. Yep. And that response sets up the next 24 seconds, right? Because if I'm negative after the point ends, I then have to deal with that thought process, that emotion, mm-hmm. to be able to then reset, refocus, and get ready to play. Um, so, you know, there's a response. There's a recovery stage. And this is where we think about players walking behind the baseline, taking some breaths, gathering themselves after the last point. The third stage is what we call refocus stage. This is where you're now starting to think about the next point. You've moved on from the last point. You're starting to plan your next point, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a the final ready stage. And this is what people mostly think about routines, rituals, bouncing the ball four times, bouncing around your feet, taking a deep breath, uh, spinning your racket, playing with your hat, these ritualistic yep. things that help the brain to quiet down and move your focus from internal to external into mm-hmm. narrow. Yep. Uh, to narrow, right? That's our, our job at that point in time. Um, those are the four things you got to do to be ready to play. In a simplistic way, you can even break it down to two big things. You got to recover and you got to refocus. Right. And that's probably a lot of times where I start with players. Hey, are you recovering? And recovery is physical, it's mental, it's emotional. And are you refocusing on how you're going to play the next point? Um, so that's where you can begin. And you say, well, what what are the things that I do to recover and refocus? Well, I go to my strings. Okay, well, what is that doing? Mm-hmm. Well, that's getting my eyes in the cord and I'm not thinking about the last point. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. What's your plan for the next one? I don't have one. Well, <laughs> you might want to think about where you want to serve on your serve, right? You might think about generally what your plan is for your return games, right? I'm trying to mm-hmm. neutralize my opponent, get the ball deep in the court or whatever, get them moving. So then you you start scaffolding, right? Melissa, you start scaffolding yep. things. So if your starting point is I go to my strings, that's great. Now let's pick but, a plan for the next point, right? Yeah. And, and pros have like more advanced plans, like serve and then what the next sure. ball is going to be or the next two balls. Yep. You know, adult players, they don't necessarily have to have a serve plus two, but I think you want to know where you're putting your serve, right? It helps your partner. Your Absolutely. Partner, for sure. Yeah. You can Gives you a little, at least that little bit of a game plan of, okay, this is where we're going to aim for. This is what we right. want to target. You know, are we going to play aggressive? Are we going to do more defensive game? Thinking about that, right. especially in doubles, right? Planning yes. that out with our partner, you know, in that in-between point sort of stage where you're talking about, you know, refocusing um, right. and getting back onto, onto the next point. So. For sure. And, and if you're if you are playing singles, you still want to have that plan because the more planful you are, the more likely you are to execute your plan, which is great because ideally that plan is to emphasize your strengths and expose their weaknesses. Right. So that should be the, like, uh, the ideal way of beating this other person, uh, just sure. in the way you're doing it. And, and so we want to have a plan. But that, that's how you start building, right? And again, you can do it in different ways. You know, 
It could be you start with a breath for recovery. You notice the person rushes and they're constantly out of breath. So then maybe you start yep. with slowing down and doing some kind of deeper breathing, causing them to slow down. Now, we we use sort of like different symbols and cues on court mm-hmm. too. So, you know, probably a lot of people who are listening to this know about the towel in tennis. Like this yep. towel, like everybody's going to the towel and take 25, 30 <laughs> seconds. Right. There's a reason for that because we're trying to emphasize recovery and getting ready for the next point. Not everybody mm-hmm. does it, and, and some players do it too much, but whatever. That towel can be a, a symbol to the player that, hey, point is ended. I'm going to wipe off the last point. It's going with the towel. I'm playing the next point now, right? So we use that yep. symbolism to help them move on from the last point. Um, so we're, we're just trying to use different skills and different symbolisms or cues on the court uh, absolutely to be ready to play the next point so but you have yeah. to know what your purpose is when are you using it because a pre-match routine might look completely different than a 25 second routine right and right. and then you have to determine what is it that i'm doing now that works and how do i build off of that so Absolutely. And I like that visual, right? It's a wiping it away, kind of if we think about swiping things away, right? Um, right. It really People gives us that visual of away. moving on. <laughs> yeah, we swipe all day long, right, on our phones. Right, so that definitely text an easy get, analogy. <laughs> exactly. <Wiping laughs> I think it's a nice analogy. Yeah, yeah, wiping it all away, right? So I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Um, you brought up a lot of really good points, right? I think breathing is a technique that is very underutilized uh, or, you know, underpracticed, right? Like you said, we all think we know how to breathe until it's actually time to breathe. Um, and, you know, it's also part of that physical but mental recovery. Um, in terms of breathing techniques, I know there's a lot of different ones, right? You have diaphragmatic breathing, you have box breathing. Um, obviously, on the court, you want to do something kind of quick um, to kind of get you recovered, but also allows you to relax. Is there any one of those or other techniques that you would usually teach players for breathing on the court? Yeah, that's a great question. Appreciate you asking it because we're trying to teach them multiple techniques and when to use them. And then we're also trying to teach them in such a way that they can do them in a few seconds and they're effective, right? Which takes practice. Yeah. We still lean on that diaphragmatic breathing as our home base, teaching them the mechanics of breathing and trying to improve. Uh, essentially the belly breath, right? And getting a deeper breath, if you want to think about it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we'll teach them, you know, to double the exhale if we're looking to emphasize that relaxation response. Um, So maybe like in in between points, it's going to be like a two and a four, for example, two in and four out. Um, But they might practice also like a four and an eight. So they're learning to Mm -hmm. extend that but then they're trying to get the same feeling when they do two and four when they have a rack of hand standing up. So, so we we sort of try to adapt things to make them work in that twenty five second time period. But um, those are big ones. We do teach triangle breathing. To teach box mm-hmm. breathing, you mentioned box. Um, you know, triangle is just the breath hold after the inhale. Obviously, mm-hmm. box has four segments to it, so that's a breath hold after. the inhale and after the exhale uh, we like to use those breathing holds because uh, not only do we think that they're training you know a greater capacity to breathe but also it creates focus right on one thing so if your mind is wandering if it's got a bunch of thoughts going on mm-hmm. 
you want to get to a singular focus if you can your breath is the best i i found thing to do that and and something like a triangle breath or a box breath is great um you it's hard to do breath holds when it's 90 degrees and (laughs) you're playing 30 ball rallies you understand that so yeah you're going back to your diaphragmatic breath at that point and slowing down uh, but definitely breath holds and changeovers, for example, to help you refocus is a good thing. Maybe pre-match, post-match. Um, those those are the big ones, to be honest. Uh, I mean, there's different techniques out there. We're still studying all of them and, and trying to figure out how yep. best to use them in tennis. But th- those are kind of the core ones that we would teach. For sure, yeah. Finding which ones are the best and in which, which situations, essentially. So you mentioned this concept of mindfulness, right? And I work... Uh, with a lot of patients on this concept as well, you know, being able to focus on one thing, you know, without judgment um, and letting our thoughts just kind of pass. But in terms of, you know, especially adult players, we've got a lot of other demands, right? We've got our jobs. Maybe some of us have kids, right? You're playing that match. And as much as you want to be focused on that match, sometimes other things just pop up in that moment, right? Other concerns that we're worried about. How can we use mindfulness and other techniques to help us stay focused in the match? Um, and really in, be in the moment? It's a great question because everybody's dealing with it, right? In today's world, it's fast and furious out there, <laughs> all the information and smartphones. And... Look, I mean, I think first it, it's a way of being, right? You try to create a lifestyle that I want to be present with whatever I'm doing because that's the most fulfilling, the most enjoyable, whether you're talking about being with your family or eating a meal or riding a roller coaster or playing a tennis match. That's when it's most enjoyable. Um, but with that being said, bots are going to butt their way in. Uh, they always do. And the yeah. more that we expect it and accept it, I almost embrace it. Like, you know what? That's my mm-hmm. mind wandering. That's normal. Uh, it's okay. Cause I, I think sometimes they, people listen to the podcast or they listen like to us talk and compete like a champion. And they're like, okay, uh, I got to do this. And then when they mm-hmm. go out and they have a thought about double folding, like, oh my God, I'm failing. No, you're not failing. Yeah. I'm double folding sometimes, I promise you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those random things that jumps into your brain. So instead of making a big deal of it, recognize, this is the mindfulness part of it, right? Recognize mm-hmm. it and then distance yourself from it. And you can, again, yeah. let it disappear off in the distance focus on your breath or you can focus on a word uh, like here now or whatever you want Mm -hmm. or and then move your mind towards okay what what's the action that i'm going to take because at the end of the day what we all want in terms of our our readiness to play is what am i going to do right what's my plan and getting Mm -hmm. to that point but so the, the the mindfulness in all of this you know being present being aware uh, being able to recognize, man, you're getting really angry right now, mm-hmm. but that doesn't control me. And that's right. the beauty of this this way of thinking, whereas I'm not just trying to stop myself from being angry. I'm mm-hmm. going to accept my emotion, but I'm not going to let it control me. I'm going to distance myself from it. I'm going to breathe. I'm gonna, okay, I feel anger, but I'm not angry. I get to choose what I want to be. And right now I want to start composing myself because I want to be ready to play this next point. Mm-hmm. I worked That's for such, years. Yeah. yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. 
I was going to say, that's such a great point that you highlight, because I think a lot of us attribute to, I'm angry, I failed that point, I am a failure, versus, yeah. okay, I double faulted, great, move on, next point, right, versus I am a failure because of this thing that just happened, right? Yeah, trust me. I mean, I, I've seen uh, players go out to the U.S. Open and double four, fault four straight times to lose the first service game. I'm like, man, that's rough. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be that guy, but you know what? He fought back. You know, and, and that's yeah. the thing is, that, you know, it's a very stoicist philosophy here that we're pushing, but stuff happens to you and then you deal with it, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't get to choose the stuff that happens to us. Uh, we only, we work through it, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, the other thing I was going to say is that when, when, when I started, because I worked for years with hockey players who were angry and, and taking a lot of penalties, <laughs> Sure. Uh, mostly because I was one of them when I was younger, and uh, <laughs> so I re I relate to those people. But uh, one of the, one of the mechanisms of change is when you start controlling what you control, and that that's such a you know players get so tired of control what you can control. Yeah, I know that because everybody <laughs> says it right, and it's on yep. poster boards and it's on <laughs> walls, and it's it loses its meaning. But the reality is right. that is a huge mechanism of change. When, when it comes to these things, if I can focus on not what's happening to me, but how I want to respond to it, that's my choice. That's my power. I don't get to choose that that person took that point from me with a bad line call. I get to choose how I respond to that. How do I want to be? And, and that's the power that you have. And it's not always easy to be that way. Promise me I know it personally. <laughs> uh, it's a work in progress all the time. But that's the choice you get to make in this life. You don't get to choose what others do. You don't get to choose how the ball bounces necessarily or the conditions. You get to choose how you're going to respond to it. When you live that, when you understand that and accept that, then you start to see real change happen. And that's what happened with these hockey players. They would get angry. Mm. Like, I'm not going to stop you from getting angry on the ice. If that's the goal, we're <laughs> going to fail. You're right. going to feel anger. How is it you want to respond to it? And mm -hmm. same for our tennis players. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to think, please don't make a mistake here. And that's not what we want you to think, but it happens. So right. how are you going to recover yep. from that? How are you going to mm -hmm. refocus? So. And I think that kind of goes along with the idea of, you know, a lot of players put pressure on themselves either when they're losing, right? Of like, come on, why aren't you, you know, winning, get your energy up, all these things. Or if they're winning, Right. They put pressure on themselves. As, oh, I got to keep going. Right. I can't let them back into the match. Right. Whichever scenario we're in, it's very easy to, you know, put some external or internal pressures on ourselves as, as well. So I feel like the strategy that you're discussing helps with some of that. Right. Being able mm -hmm. to be present in the moment and not have to, um, you know, worry so much <laughs> about the judgment associated with some of those things. Yeah. Because right? I, I think, you know, I see with our junior players a lot, and that is, there's a way this should be going and it's, it typically doesn't go that way. And then they're right. just exasperated by it. Like, why is this not happening the way I, because it happens in the drill, but yeah, the drill is a closed environment. Right. It's not, it's not the open environment of the match playing with somebody else. So, um, you know, there's just a healthy level of acceptance you need to have that tennis is a messy game. It's mm -hmm. full of unforced and forced errors and it's okay. You know, it, it's yeah. fun. Absolutely. And there's always so many unpredictable moments in tennis that you never know what's going to happen, right? 
So yes. in some of those moments, right, obviously there's times where things aren't going our way. I know we've discussed a couple of these different strategies now, but are there any other ways that you'd coach your players through uh, a tough time in a match, right, if they need to recover mentally when things aren't going so great? Yeah, again, our home base is breathing and then refocusing on, on something in the present that we can control, something simple. That's home base. With the kids, yeah. we call it breathe and believe. Mm. something simple you're going to go to your breath and then you're going to hey what's one thing coach would tell me to do right now what's one thing i think i can do run for every ball hit the ball deep in the court whatever it is that's like home base and then we start to build off these refocusing routines mm -hmm. right so uh, another level of this and i've mentioned this word and it is more in this sort of mindfulness approach and that's acceptance right that acceptance is very powerful because it gives us the ability to let go that, okay, it is what it is. I'm not going to change it. So why am I going to bother myself about it, right? I'm not going to worry about it so much. So, mm -hmm. you know, my opponent's hitting the ball, ball high to my backhand. Like, he's going to do that. So it <laughs> right. is what it is. So what do you want to do about it? And that's the the back half, that acceptance and commitment. That, mm -hmm. okay, what am I going to do about that? It's not enough to accept it because, great, he's hitting the ball high to my backhand and then I lose <laughs> Oh, no. It's like, okay, great. Mm -hmm. So to my back end, it is what it is. What am I going to do about that, right? I'm going to step in and take it earlier. Or some of them going to back up and hit it higher. But that puts it back under me, folks, on what I can control and committing to that fully. So that's that's another way we talk about it as, as the players get a little bit older. And then if you have players who are more visual, there's this cool mm -hmm. little technique, especially as it relates to mistakes. We call it see, erase, replace. You know, and you make a mistake and you stand there and look at it for a while and you keep seeing your mind like there's that yep. ball going out over and over again. We'll say, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well see it anyway. So see the mistake. There's me missing the forehand long. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to erase it. Now, we used to like, okay, wiping the mark marker board clean, making it white. Now, today, maybe it's like swiping that text over that, yep. getting rid of that <laughs> email, whatever. You're erasing whatever it was there, that image. And then you're replacing it with the one you want to have happen. So see, race, replace. So now imagine hitting my forehand with some spanet going down and, and hitting the target. So, um, so we have these different techniques we can use essentially based on age, stage, people's strengths. So if someone's more of a visual learner, I might use the see, race, replace, or if they, they, they struggle with mistakes, for example. So those are the different tools that we can use. But at the end of the day, it still comes back to Letting go with mm -hmm. your breath. Yep. So hitting that reset button and then refocusing on the action you're going to take. Yeah, I love that. Just finding that reset button, whatever that is, whether it's the breath, right? Some of these habits that we build into our routine, right? Using the racket, the towel, whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. and then getting back into it. And I think something else you mentioned earlier is the self-talk, right? What does that look like in between points, right? And building positive self-talk that's focused on what am I doing next versus, you know, the outcome of the match. Right. Yeah. And, and self-talk is something that, you know, players are a little behaviorists out there. Like, oh, I go to my towel and I spin my racket. Those things are there to create rhythm. Yes, physically, mm -hmm. but mostly they're there to manage the thoughts because you have all this time mm -hmm. to think and you have to discipline the mind, right, to get it to the focus that you want to have. And so you want to know what your cues are, right? And the things right. that make you feel ready to play, you know, if it's, hey, find your forehand or 
uh, big middle or thinking targets like that kind of things or accelerate. So something like that mm-hmm. or on the serve, go up and go up and after it. Or, you know, so you have these yep. cues that we give players or players come up with is really the reality of it. And um, that allows them sort of to engage in the moment and to flow versus it becoming this mechanical process where it's like, oh, okay, now I need to put my hand here and my elbow goes here and we're yep. overthinking the whole thing. You have to discipline the self-talk or it really will um, get in the way of what you're trying to do. But in general terms, uh, the target for our self-talk would be that it's on our purpose, that mm-hmm. it's process-based, that's based on how we want to play, right? So I want to play heavy versus I need to win this match. Um, right. That it's essentially positive, yeah. Uh, doesn't have to be, but for the most part. And it's you're in the present. You're having present yep. kind of related thoughts, you know, versus futuristic thoughts of, God, what if uh, I can't keep playing this way? <laughs> then the nerves come in or uh, past thoughts like, well, if I hadn't missed that overhead at 30 all, I'd be up 3-1 and now it's 2-2. And before you know it, you've lost that game. So right. our home target for our self-talk kind of hits on those Ps, present, mm-hmm. process, positive, purpose. If you're generally having those kinds of thoughts, you're in a good in a good space. If you're not having those kinds of thoughts, probably then your mind's uh, messing with you, and then you got to work to to get yourself yeah. back and focused. Right, and like you said, finding that balance of not overthinking it, but also having that you know um, consistent pattern, right, from point to point, right, that you have that um, discipline in terms of your self talk, right. Yeah. So. And it's, that's kind of a misnomer because players will say, I wasn't thinking when I was mm-hmm. playing well. You were, but you weren't fully aware of it. You were feeling, sure. right? Because it was a feeling. Instead of like, okay, Larry, you need to reach up and hit the serve and fall. You were like, just feeling, just go up and get it in a very mm-hmm. simplistic way. And, and that's a hard thing to get to. And we do a lot of visualization to that. Mm-hmm. But to get to that point, a lot of things in practice where you're just trying to clear the mind with breath and then just feel what you're doing. But uh, when people are at their best, often, you know, we're, we talk about flow or the zone, mm-hmm. uh, things slow down and they don't have so much thoughts as they just know what to do. And they're just with right. this immersive experience. Well, to me, it's, you're you're giving up control and you're allowing the experience to happen, but you you know already what you need to do. So you're not worried about right. trying to control things, right? You're not worried mm-hmm. about, oh my God, like I need to win these next two games. You're just playing. But that's yeah. because you you found this state and it's hard to find, but oh um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's yeah. characteristic of someone who is having not a lot of thoughts, very simple thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. And very task-related present thoughts. Yeah, keeping it simple, right? <laughs> right, and 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 that, again, there's so many different ways of this topic. Like, we we even have arguments about this, like how simple, right? Because mm. you know things can get too simple where you're not adapting or whatever. But to me, you know, pre-match, during the match, you want to think bullet points before you play, like the day before. After you play, then you can think about it in sentences if you want to put it that way. And, mm-hmm. um, to do that, though, you have to be planful. If you think you're going right. to, you know, just show up and feel like you're going to be a high performer at your club, 
but you haven't even organized your thoughts about how you want to play. It's tough to imagine if you're, unless you're just better than everybody else uh, at where you're <laughs> at playing, that you're going to perform right. the way you want. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. There definitely needs to be an, an aspect of practice and intention before getting on the court for these things to happen, right? They just don't happen on their own. No, they don't. And that's a, every, every single player should at least know what, how they see themselves playing. How do I win points mm-hmm. is one way to think about how I am when I'm at my best. That's kind of, right. again, this is like your identity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you hear, you'll hear, like if you talk to tennis players, they know the language. Like I'm an aggressive baseline or I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a all quarter, right? You'll hear players even say right. these things. Uh, I'm not so sure that players that don't play that much really get this. So you want to think mm-hmm. about, well, how is it that I, now, if you're just trying to get a forehand in the court, that's another story. But sure. uh, but if you're playing competitively, you want to have an identity of how do I play points? How am I going to be successful? And you want to keep coming back to that as you play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, a lot of players tend to play doubles, um, especially mm-hmm. when we get into the adult ages. Um, and, you know, the dynamic can be sometimes a little bit different than singles, right? Since you do have the other person to bounce off of in terms of energy and, and mental focus, right? How do you recommend, you know, people who play doubles, how can they support each other? And what kind of mental strategies can they use to stay focused together as a team? Yeah, it's it's great. You know, I think you do have to adapt your routines in between points because um, you've got somebody else out there to talk to and you need to plan the next point. Energy is huge in doubles, huge. It's a momentum game and points happen quickly. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it starts with communication when it comes to doubles, having good communication, having worked out how you want to interact with one another at, while you're on the court. And one thing I see good doubles teams doing is they always come together, mm-hmm. especially if they lost the point. They will come together you know, clap hands, whatever, but they'll stand together. That closeness reinforces this team. It reinforces we're in this together. Then you can encourage one another. Uh, you can talk about the plan for the next point. So a lot of communication needs to happen. And I think you need to create that closeness coming together between points. That's going to make that t- that tighter uh, team cohesion, right? That you're looking for. You're, we're in this together. Uh, I was just talking to a player about this, you know, where they win a point, great. The person will come over. If they lost a point, the person will avoid them. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> how does it make you feel that great when you lose a point? So right. <laughs> uh, you got to do it consistently, come together. Uh, we don't always feel great, but we still need to reinforce and, and support the other person. A lot of times in doubles, too, actually, players will tell me this, that they like it because they can say the things that they want to say to themselves, but they can say it mm. also to their teammates, to their doubles partner. Like, hey, you know, we're right. going to get this. We just got to hang yep. in and saying yep. it out loud really helps them. Right. And saying to someone yep. else is like, yeah, yeah. So yep. that doubles mentality sometimes is a lot easier to be positive, encouraging, um, yep. which is awesome. And I think singles players should play doubles, even just for that reason, improve your volleys and approaches and stuff sure. like that. <laughs> All the good stuff. All those, a lot of good reasons, but, um, but you do need to adjust. You're not just out there for yourself. You need to be there for the other person, communicating, encouraging. I think you work out your communication before you ever step on the court. Here are the expectations that we have for one another uh, mm-hmm. and, and just get on the same page. So so critical. Uh, 
yeah, in terms of like your traditional mental skills, probably those drop into the backdrop a little bit to the communication mm-hmm. with one another, encouragement of one another, mm-hmm. just because of what it takes you need to do in doubles, but still use your breathing. Um, you can visualize how that next point's going to go. Um, the self-talk obviously is becomes hugely important because you got somebody else out <laughs> for it. So if you're thinking right. you're terrible, <laughs> you know, that's not going to be helpful. So, no. um, you know, so these skills are still there, but I, I find in doubles, a lot of communication is very important. Yeah. And I think too, managing different uh, personalities on the court, right? There's some people who are more outgoing as doubles partners yes. and others who are a little bit more reserved and figuring out what is that balance, right? Do we come together every point? When do we want to come together? How do we communicate about the next point? So then it's also not an overwhelm for someone who doesn't want to talk between every point. Um, you know, what is that balance essentially? Yeah. And it's a balance of energy too, right? Because if the other player thinks they're giving all the energy and the other, mm-hmm. the other their, their partner is giving nothing, then it, becomes, right. it can become, you know, not a great relationship on court. So. Yeah, can make it a little bit more draining than it would just to be playing the match, right? Having yeah. to balance your partner's energy as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked about a lot of different things. I really appreciate all the insight you've brought to us, Larry. Is there any other things that you would like to leave our audience with here um, that would be valuable for us to know? Yeah, you know, I thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Um, players ask me all the time, you know, what do you do in big points, right? Like, how do you the pressure moments? And I think it's pretty similar to the stuff we've been talking about, these routines, um, refocusing well and, and practicing those routines. One thing I, I like to cut, well, a couple of things. One is embracing the situation, mm-hmm. you know, really helps a lot. If, if I'm thinking, you know, in the changeover and we're going out to serve and it's four or five, this is where I want to be. Where else would I rather be? Mm-hmm. Right. And if you got a double sport right. like saying them, this is fun. This is right where we want to be, right? That mm-hmm. changes the whole mentality going into that next game where you're going to be more aggressive, have better energy. So remember that. I also think under pressure, emphasize your strengths. Uh, if your forehand's your strength, find a way to get it to your forehand. If if your return's your strength, then really go after your returns. Whatever it is, but great players emphasize that they use their strengths under pressure and they trust mm-hmm. in them. And you know, one thing I always remember, and some of your listeners will remember this, uh, Andrescu was playing Serena Williams at the U.S. Open final a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, Serena's starting to make a comeback and the crowd was going nuts. I was there. I was <laughs> watching the junior match because there's yeah. no way I was getting in to in see that. Match. <laughs> too fact, I'm watching a junior's final, uh, where, which is where I was supposed to be at that point. But mm-hmm. uh place is going nuts. It's loud. I remember listening to Andrescu afterwards, she, when Serena was coming back, she went into the changeover and said, okay, she took a breath. What am I going to do about this? And she just went back to the things that were working before. When we talk about simple, what's mm-hmm. working, go back to that. And she did it and she won a grand slam because of it. So yeah. you, you, you tell yourself what is working, you visualize, you commit to, you go and do it, you take that action. Uh, that's much better than hoping your opponent's going to miss under pressure. Right. If you're playing someone who's good, they're probably not going to miss you can't count yep. on that you got to make mm-hmm. them miss or you got you got to win the point so yeah um you know these are these are things that i've learned in those big point situations uh and just work your way through it with your breathing i think those things help yep. a lot 
I think all of that is excellent advice. Thank you. Um, certainly something we can all start to practice on the court for those big, big moments that sometimes we struggle through. For sure. So, Larry, thank you again. Um, if people want to find you and learn more uh, and hear more of the the great things that you have to teach us, where can they find you? Yeah, well, th thanks for asking. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, you know, so Larry.Lauer. Uh, but you really where you want to go is probably the Compete Like a Champion podcast. You can find mm -hmm. our USTA uh, website or you can go to any places where they have podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe and it's free. So you get, you know, we're, we're putting them up like every other week now. So um, we're actually doing also skills and drills. We talk about different drills, you know, coach Johnny Parks and I, that we use, or we, we want to use <laughs> to work on certain things. So, uh, so, you know, we're getting pretty practical and then we have interviews and stuff like that. So th those are places, certainly our USTA uh, player development website is the place to go as well. So, um, but yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there, and, and certainly, um, you know, we we like to call through all that and our compete like a champion podcast and get to the things that we believe are backed by science or backed by best practice. So that's usually where I push people to go. Absolutely, and I'll definitely link all of that in the show notes. And I appreciate you sharing that with us, Larry. And again, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it.